Good morning. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you for the lovely music. I know that some of our musicians have been down sick, so we're thank thankful that you're able to step up and help out. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your amazing grace. We praise you for your goodness. We praise you for your kindness and just the chance to come together and worship together and study together and, and learn of you together. And we pray that the Spirit of God will come upon this place and give us the, the strength and the understanding that we need to approach this subject. In the name of Jesus, we pray and ask these things. Amen. I want to start this morning with a question. What do Barack Obama, Winston Churchill, Billy Graham, Steve Jobs, Ronald Reagan, and Derek Jeter all have in common? They're all men. They're all men. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's, that is true. They are men. Okay. Barack Obama, Winston Churchill. I should have thrown a woman in there. You're right. Barack Obama, Winston Churchill, Billy Graham, Steve Jobs, Ronald Reagan, and Derek Jeter have all been credited with being great communicators. They have all been said to be able to articulate their ideas and inspire and in connect in some way to those whom they're speaking. Ronald Reagan he is most famously referred to as the great communicator. He is remembered for being a great public speaker and being very hopeful and positive. He was able to take complex ideas such as the economy or, or the um, uh, national debt and make them very understandable to the public. There are stories that he would pull out uh, a dollar bill and some coins out of his pocket when he was giving a te televised speech, which is apparently a tricky thing to do. His speechwriters attributed some of his success to his early days in radio because he had the ability to help his listeners visualize in their minds. It said he was a great illustrator, educator, and had the uncommon ability to connect with people on a personal level. He was the great communicator. And when Americans think about being communicators, he is often the standard. Last week, we learned about two of the biblical methods that we want to incorporate as we are parenting, that we want to embrace. We learned that they were physical discipline, which we start studying next week. And then the second was rich, full communication. As moms, you need to be great communicators. However, as much as I loved Ronald Reagan... He will not be our standard today. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Proverbs chapter 18? Proverbs chapter 18, we're going to look at some verses you had in the reading. We're going to look to it to help us define what biblical communication is about. Proverbs 18, looking at verse 2. 18.2 says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. All right, now skip to verse 13. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. All right, now turn over to Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5. 
25 says, the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. All right, often when we think of being communicators, we think of it as being able to articulate and speak and say our ideas and our opinions. But the Bible tells us that if that's our only concern, it's a foolish one, okay? Communication is more than just being a good talker. So we want to use that as part of our definition. Number one on your papers, communication is dialogue, not monologue. Now, the author points out that rich communication is the ability to talk with your kids, not just to them. And he uses the example that sometimes his parents will think, okay, we, I just had a really good talk with your child, when really what's transpired is they've just had a good listen, okay? So when we're talking about rich communication, we are talking about the ability to listen as well. All right, now last week we talked about the need to understand our child, and communicating with them is going to help us to meet that, um, accomplish that. Now that brings us to our next point. Number two on your paper. Communication involves learning how to draw out the thoughts of another. We see that in the Proverbs passage. If we are to be women, if you're to be mothers that understand your children, then according to this verse, you are going to be mothers that learn how to draw out the thoughts and the purposes of your child's heart. Okay? Now, that's a a starting definition. Next, what I'd like to do is we're going to work through some of the basic investigative questions to help us um, organize our discussion on communication. So I want to start out with why. Why should we communicate? And um, let's turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, 27. You may have this one memorized. We spent a lot of time here last, on the last semester. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We have been created in the image of a communicating God. God communicates. He displays his glory in creation. He has given us his word. He is the word. He's the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. He reveals himself to us. He is a communicating God. Now, what does that have to do with why we communicate? Number three, we image God when we communicate. Right now, last semester, we learned that we image God through our gender. Okay, this time we're going to see that we image God as we communicate. All right. Now, there's a second reason. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, you had to see this passage in your homework as well. And we're going to spend a couple of our points looking at this passage. Deuteronomy 6. I'm going to start um, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, 
and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. All right, another reason we communicate, number four. We have been commanded by God to communicate to our children. It is our primary means of discipling. Okay? You have been assigned the task of discipling your children, and communicating is going to be the primary means that you do that. Okay? Now, now that we've uh, settled why we communicate, let's talk about what. What we are to communicate. Okay? As a mom, you have a lot of things to communicate You have to communicate to them the disciplines of hygiene, of safety, that you have to communicate to them how to feed themselves and how to dress themselves and how to just act in public and such things. You have a lot to communicate. But this morning, we want to focus on what we're seeing here in this Deuteronomy 6 passage. And that is that you're going to take all those things and you're going to understand them and teach them in relation to what we see here in Deuteronomy 6. And that is that you are to communicate to your children the truth of God, the beauty of God, the beauty of God's rule in your lives. Now, I want you to notice in verse 6. In verse 6, he says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You are going to give your children a very up-close and personal look at the truth of God. Next question. When it comes to what we are to teach, number five, we are to communicate the truth of God and the beauty of the gospel. The most important task that you will have as a parent will be to teach your children the gospel and to communicate to them the glories of God. Now, understanding all of that is going to be the work of the Holy Spirit. But I like the way Matt Chandler describes it. He puts it this way, and I'm paraphrasing. He says, the Holy Spirit lights the fire, but it's the parent's job to surround the child with kindling. Okay, your job, you're to diligently, you're to be diligently teaching your children the fear of God and the truth of God. You are going to surround your children with kindling. Okay, now, if you're going to do that, that's going to mean that you are going to have to put the scriptures before them. And if you're going to put the scriptures before them, they're going to have to be in you. Okay, you want the scriptures to be in you, so they're just flowing out of you. Okay, you, you want the scriptures to be coming out of your pores. You want the scriptures to be a natural part of your conversation. Now look at verse 6, because, or not look at verse 6, look at this passage, because that's what we're seeing in this Deuteronomy passage. We're seeing that you are going to be teaching something that is the overflow of your heart. Okay? That's the what. Let's talk about how. And we want to spend the bulk of our time talking about this. Um, We've said that part of being a good communicator is being a good listener and being able to draw them out. And he gives us a few, well, and we're going to talk about this in number six. How do we go about drawing them out and helping to understand them? Number six, we must learn to ask good qualitative questions. Okay, and these kind of questions are those that cannot be answered with a simple yes or no. 
All right. The author explains that certain questions can help us gain certain information. And so I've put a little box with some of the questions that you can um, uh, use. For instance, when you ask a what question, that reveals information. What exactly did you say to your brother? Okay, that's a what. You can ask how. A how question reveals process. How did the popsicle stain get on the carpet underneath your bed? Okay, that's a how. Okay, what did you want to accomplish or help me understand? That's going to help reveal motive. Why did you put the popsicle underneath your bed? Okay, motive. Questions like how often or where reveal patterns. How often do you trade your carrots for candy? Where did, all these, where did all these candy wrappers come from? Okay, that's going to reveal patterns. The author also points out that offering up multiple choice questions can be very useful because your child may not be able to uh, uh, articulate exactly how he feels. All right, now these are things when something goes wrong, these are good questions to put in your arsenal so you can start to understand what's going on in their head so that then you can know the best response. All right, now the author emphasizes that this approach can be a wonderful encouragement to your children. And I'm talking about trying to draw them out and trying to understand them. And he uses a visual to help explain, which is also on your paper. It's that little chart I have, something like it. He explains that during your child-raising years, your kids and your babies, uh, when your kids are babies, your authority is at an all-time high. Okay, and that is mostly because you're bigger and stronger. But if you look at your uh, chart there, as your child grows, your ability to control him, your authority in those terms, it begins to diminish. All right, I can remember uh, having a conversation with uh, one of my teenage sons, and I remember at some point, you know, I'm like this. Okay. Now, at that point, you know, the tables are turned. He's, he's stronger, and he's bigger, and so... Um, He's, he doesn't, you know, the, the, the fact is I could give him all the orders I want, but he could do whatever he wants. Okay, so as they grow, we want to be nurturing and developing a relationship with them so that they will willingly put themselves under our authority. Okay, now, as their physical capabilities, as our physical capabilities are decreasing, like you see on that chart, okay, our power of influence needs to be increasing. All right, now. Here's what the author points out. This is where we're going with that. The position of increasing influence is most likely, now not guaranteed, but it is most likely to occur in a child that has seen a parent that is trying to understand them and see life through their eyes. Okay? And also um, understanding the child and also teaching the child his full potential as a creature of God made to live in a relationship with God, made to know and live in a relationship with God, okay? Um, now, we want to spend the rest of our time, or some of our time, talking about the different types of communication, and I have those on your paper there, too. Now, the author points out that much of the time, parents limit their communication to three things. He says we communicate the rules, we correct them when they're broken, and then we punish. He says that most parents claim that 80 to 90% of their communication falls into those three things. Rules, correction, punishment. Rules, correction, punishment. And the author goes on to say that we need to expand on that. 
Okay. And he points us to 1 Thessalonians. So if you would turn with me there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And this too is from the reading this week. 1 Thessalonians, that's back in your New Testament. This is Paul writing. And he writes, 1 Thessalonians 5.14, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. All right, Paul's point here is that one size does not fit all. Okay? When it comes to nurturing a relationship, different situations call for different measures. The lazy man, he doesn't need encouragement. He doesn't need praise. Okay, the faint-hearted, they don't need admonishment. Okay, different situations call for different approaches or tools. Now, how are you going to know which one to use? Well, we need the grace of God. We need the Spirit of God that dwells in us to be guiding and directing us so that we know... uh, how to, uh, how to respond. So let's go, over, let's go over some of the different approaches and tools that we can develop. All right, first one, A, rebuke, okay? A rebuke censures behavior. The author puts it this way. He says, sometimes a child must experience your sense of alarm, shock, dismay at what he's said or done. Okay, your child does something, your child says something, your child throws something, your child hits something, and you say, stop. You must never do that. Okay, it's kind of a shock. You've probably used their first and middle name. And uh, the, the, the thing with the rebuke is you don't want to end with that. You want to follow with some other form of communication. Or you may be following with some other form of, uh, a, a form of discipline, depending on if the child has done it before. Okay, B is correction. All right, correction gives your child insight into what is wrong and what may, do, what may be done to correct the problem. Okay, he says it's like the carpenter's plumb line. It tells when something's out of alignment. Sometimes your child needs to be brought back into conformity, and correction will help do that. I remember a time when, one of, uh, when my one son, he was probably about 15 years old, and um, we started to notice a pattern with him when we were out with him. Maybe we were at church or with friends. We noticed that um, adults would say something to him or maybe throw a comment his way or maybe even speak of him. And, and, he, and he wouldn't acknowledge it. He, he, he didn't do anything. Well, um, you know, first time it happens, you, we just gave him the benefit of the doubt and thought, well, you know, maybe he didn't hear it. But then we started to see it again, and it, we're, we're seeing a pattern. Okay, so, um, and, and he, was, uh, he was typically uh, a respectful, uh, thoughtful child. So, so we knew we had a problem with some social skills. He had some social skills that needed to be corrected. And so we said to him, sweetie, listen, uh, when, whenever there's uh, people, someone's talking to you, especially if it's an adult, if they're referring to you, if they're uh, speaking to you, listen, you know, you, you need to look him in the eye, you need to look them in the eye, nod, speak, smile, you know, do something, okay? Okay, because to do nothing, it's coming across disrespectful and unkind, okay? We, so he needed correction, and he responded well to it. You, you have, he needed to be brought um, into conformity. Okay, next, warnings. C is warnings. Warnings are types of communication that put children on notice concerning dangers. 
Now, your children's lives are filled with dangers. So warnings are a very merciful type of communication. And he uses the example of putting up a sign to warn cars that the bridge is out. Okay, warnings are necessary. Warnings alert to danger when there is still time to escape. Now, he has a great idea. He says the most, one of the most powerful things you can do is to teach your children the warnings of the Bible. This is a great idea. As you're reading your kid's scripture, you could keep a notebook or a journal and start making notes of the warnings that you see in the scriptures. Or as you're reading to them, you could ask them, uh, do you see any warnings in this passage? And start teaching them to pay attention to them. Now, how will you recognize the warnings in the scripture? Well, he tells us this. He says the warnings in the Bible are the A leads to B statements. Child, if you do this, then that will happen. And it's for the most part the application of the sowing and reaping principle. And ladies, that is a principle you want your children to understand. What you sow, you reap. Okay, that's warning your child. Okay, D is the teaching. D is teaching. And teaching is the process of imparting knowledge, causing someone to know something. All right, teaching. Teaching can be formal. Teaching can be informal. Teaching can take place before it is needed. Teaching can take place most effectively after a failure or a problem. I have shared before with you the story about how I would have uh, formal devotions with my boys when they were little and how I would uh, put them up at the counter and then I would quickly make some peanut butter toast and get them a bowl of cereal and I'd throw the food in front of them and then I would run and get my Bible and I would start to teach and I would start to read to them. And then we did the same thing again at lunch. Now, I have to tell you, after I've done this book, I'm starting to think that possibly the, uh, the author would probably say I was bribing them with food in order to get them to sit still and listen which it, I probably was. But, uh, but one of the things that we did is I, we, we went over the Ten Commandments. That was one of the first things that we learned. And so what I would do, and I wanted them to learn them in order. And so I would do it ping pong style. I would make the first child, he'd have to say the first commandment, and then I'd say, okay, you say the second, and third, fourth, five. You know, we'd work through the ten, and then I'd switch it up. Okay, you go first. And so we, that's kind of how we went through it. So they, they learned to know the ten commandments in order. Well, one day, the boys are playing in the room, and all of a sudden I just hear yelling and screaming and just chaos. And, and, I, and I walk into the room, and I say, what is going on in here? And my littlest one, he's crying, he's upset, and he's pointing to the older brother and he's saying, he is breaking the eighth commandment. <laughs> now, I have to do this. <laughs> All right, what have you taken? <laughs> now, here's the neat thing. The formal instruction at the breakfast table is now going to lead some very, to some very good informal instruction in the playroom. First we had the instruction before it was needed, now we've got it after the offense and it's become a problem. And so I said to him, 
um, and I should, I should uh, clarify this too. The, uh, I did not handle this the way the author recommends. He talks about this scenario often in, in the book and often when he's speaking, and he talks about addressing the sinful nature of both children when they're fighting over a toy. Okay, that, uh, that was, uh, I had a different concern that, that morning, that day. I was concerned about the way one child would just grab, grab a toy off another. And, and so I said, uh, he's right. You cannot just grab a toy off of your brother. That is stealing. And he said, um, well, it's mine. I said, okay, listen, if he's playing with a toy and you want it and you go and you grab it off him, that's coveting. You, you're, you're, you're coveting and stealing. And you know, you know God's word has told us that you're, we're not to do these things. You're not to covet. You're not to steal. Okay? That's teaching. That would be a form of teaching. Okay, next, E, is instruction. And instruction is the process of providing a lesson, a precept, or information that will help your children to understand their world. I had a girlfriend back in my hometown. Uh, Her name was Connie Cipher. And she had about five kids in like six years. She was, um, she was the girl in the Sunday school class that was always pregnant. And um, she's a sweet girl. Sweet girl had sweet kids. And I remember her telling us a story of something that they did in their home. She said they gave their kids allowance. And so every Friday night, she would sit, her, put her babies, put all her kids at the kitchen table, and she would take her package of pennies, and she would count out her and her husband, they would count out 10 pennies to each child. And then after each child had their 10 pennies, those kids would go through those pennies and they would look for the prettiest and the shiniest penny of the pile. And they would take that penny and they would put it aside. And then on Sunday morning, they would get that shiny penny and they would take it with them to Sunday school and put it in their little Sunday school collection box. Now think of the instruction that those kids got every week. Those kids, those parents were saying, children, this is what you do with your money. They were getting a beautiful age-appropriate lesson on tithing. Oh, children, we give God our best. We give God our first. The first thing we do is we pick out and we give back to God. He's provided it all, but we give back the first portion. We don't give him the leftovers. We pick out the first And children, we give them the best. And think about it. They were teaching them we give God our best, and it's a joyful experience. All children, the delight of giving back to God. And not only that, they were seeing faithfulness, faithfulness, as week after week that family sat around that table and counted out those pennies. Okay, that's instruction. Next we have entreaty. F is entreaty. Encouragement. Oh, sorry. Entreaty is communication that is earnest and intense and involves pleading, soliciting, urging, and even begging, but not like a beggar. Okay? All right, this is where you as a parent, you bear your soul with earnest pleading. And the author gave a number of proverbs as examples where you can see the parent talking with great passion to the child. Now, this form of communication is not something that you're going to use every day. 
all right? This is gonna be reserved for the more extreme and more intense situations. The author gave the example of using this form when he talked with his sons about the dangers of pornography or sexual immorality, those types of things. Of course, there are all kinds of different topics that you could add to that. Okay, the next G, encouragement. Encouragement is communication designed to inspire and fill with hope and courage. Now, we've talked about encouragement before, and I'd like to revisit that. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. We've said before that if you want to know, or we've said before that Barnabas... He is known as the son of encouragement. And so if you want to understand encouragement, check out Barnabas. So we're going to go to Acts chapter 9, verse 27. This is a passage about Paul. We've seen this before. He's just been converted. And the disciples and the believers, they're afraid of him. Okay, so we're going to pick up here in this verse. As we read this, the pronouns are referring to uh, Paul. Okay, here we go. Acts 9.27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Okay, we'll stop there. Barnabas took him, that's Paul, and that word means to grasp. That means to take hold of. Paul, he's having trouble fitting in. He's having trouble being accepted. And so what does Barnabas do? He literally takes him by the arm and comes at his side both with his actions and his speech. Right now, that's what encouragement does. It comes alongside, and it gives hope, and it gives courage. All right? My, when my youngest son was little, uh, he, would, he would just make such a, a mess of his uh, room, and it would eventually just be strewn, strewn covered with uh, toys. And um, I would let it go on for a while, and then I would just finally say, okay, listen, you have to clean your room. And you, have to, and you can't do anything else until it's done. Well, he would go into his room and, and uh, just stare and uh, look very depressed, and he wouldn't pick anything up. He just looked very forlorn. And then um, his brother would come along. Now, his brother wants a playmate. And Garrett would say, I, I can't play. I have to clean my room. And... Um, And Grant would say, okay, Garrett, you see these blocks? Pick all these blocks up and put them in that box. And Garrett would come to life and he'd get busy and he'd pick all those blocks up. (laughs) And then Grant would say, okay, you see these Lincoln Logs? Pick all these up and put them in that container. And so Garrett, he'd get all busy. He'd he'd put all the Lincoln Logs up. And then Grant would say, okay, good job. Now you see these little cars? Let's do... And And he'd break it down into pieces and little Garrett, he's just busy working along. And before you know it, the room was clean. Now, that's what encouragement does. Uh, it would have been nice had it come from me, but uh, <laughs> it, it, came from, it came from elsewhere. <laughs> but see, that's what encouragement does. It comes alongside, and it gives uh, in hope, and it gives courage, and in some cases, instruction. In this case, the encouragement came through the instruction. Okay? And when our kids are faint-hearted, they need encouragement. Now, one of the things I found out, I realized, as in hindsight, that um, when Garrett would go into his room and not clean it, he, he wasn't being defiant. He wasn't even being lazy. He, he just did not know how to break down that big job into sizable, doable pieces. He was overwhelmed with it. Okay? And so he didn't need rebuked. He didn't need a spanking. 
He needed instruction and encouragement. Okay, and it's the same way with your kids. There's going to be times where um, they're overwhelmed or uh, afraid or um, ill-equipped, and so they're going to need, you're going to need to come alongside them and give them encouragement. Okay, this is also another important way, another reason why it's so important that we understand our children because we don't want to be giving spankings when what they need is encouragement. Okay, and we don't want to be giving encouragement when what they need is spanking. So it works both ways, but um, that's why we need to understand our children. Okay, there's also another reason why we need to know the Word of God. Okay, because the Bible tells us that God uses the Scriptures to encourage us. You read that in one of your passages this week from Romans, where it said that God, the, the Scriptures are given for our encouragement. The scriptures are given for our instruction. And so you want to be able to take your children to the word of God. Now, you want to know why? Because your kids are going to have problems that you can't fix. They're going to, be, they're going to have disappointments. They're going to have broken hearts. They're going to have broken dreams. They're going to become faint-hearted. And you want to be able to have something more for them than empty words. You want to be able to take them to the encouragement of the scriptures. Okay. Our last form of communication on the list, and it's one that might surprise you, and that is prayer, H, on your paper. Prayer is communication with God, but nevertheless an essential element of communication between the parent and the child. The author makes a great point that when you pray together with your children, understanding what they pray and how they pray is often a window into their souls. That works both, way. that works both ways as they listen to you. Now, obviously, we don't want to pray for show or for their consumption, but um, as they hear you pray, you are communicating your faith before them. All right, one last thing that we want to consider about our communication is the question of when do we communicate? And the answer to that is all the time. Okay, if you remember back in the um, Deuteronomy passage where it says when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up, that's all the time. All right, now communicating with your children about the glories of God is going to be continual. Now, here's the problem. The problem is, as parents, we get busy. And we get caught up with just getting through the day. And we start to think that the only real time that we need to communicate is when there's a problem. All right? And so um, that brings us to our next point. Number seven, when do we communicate? Seven on your paper is communication is ongoing It is not just an event, it is a lifestyle. All right, now because communication is ongoing, because it's a lifestyle, because uh, it's continual, it's going to be very time-consuming, okay? It's not just something that you tack on to the end of the day or something that you schedule onto your calendar, two to four, communicate with kids. It doesn't work that way. All right. Um, if you're going to communicate with your kids, you're going to have to be flexible and you're going to have to be available. The author points out that kids don't pour their hearts out on demand. I found that with mine, when I was the busiest and the most distracted, that seemed to be when they were their chattiest and they want to sit down and talk. 
Okay, and the author says this way. He says, a wise parent learns to talk and engage when their kids are in the mood. Chapter 8 in the book highlighted some of the many benefits of developing communication between you and your child. He says uh, that some of them are these. Your child comes to trust you. He comes to know you love him. You come to un- he knows you understand him. He knows you've invested your life in him. It helps prepare your child for relationships outside the family. That's an important one. All right, those are some of the benefits of communicating with your children. But as the author points out, there is a cost. There is a cost for doing that. This takes time. It takes time to nurture the relationships in your home. It takes time to pursue biblical communication with your children. It's going to take time away from you doing other things. It means that you may have to put some of the things that you want to do on hold. In the recent years, I have uh, been asked to uh, speak or teach on a couple of occasions. And um, usually once you agree, someone will contact you before the event or the class starts, and they will want some information about you. They want to know a little bit about you. They want to know what your credentials are. They want to know your accomplishments. They're looking for something to put in the newsletter. You know, they're looking for some little blurb that they can tack onto the email. Or maybe they're looking for some nice things to say about you before they hand you the podium. So um, I will, will set to write, try to figure out what to uh, write down on that. And um, I'll be thinking about the past 30 years. And I'm thinking, you know, I, I, I had to stop doing a lot of things. I, I found... Uh, Parenting to be very time-consuming, particularly if I was going to be nurturing the relationship. And uh, so, uh, so I, I, you know, I had to, some people, some people can do it, I couldn't. I couldn't do it all, so I, I had to stop things. Some people can do it, I couldn't. So um, I'm, I'm writing things down, or I'm trying to write things down, and I realize I, I've got a blank page. I'm, I'm, I'm staring at a blank page. So usually what I end up doing is, um, well, I should say from a, from a um, newsletter, interesting, accomplishment perspective, my page is empty. And so I'll usually get back to them and say, okay, could you just say that I am the wife of Bob Giesler and the mother of three children? And says, okay, that's what they write. Now, my kids are grown. As I think back on the past 30-some years, does it bother me that my page is blank? Not for a minute. Not for a minute. Now, I'm not saying that I don't have regrets. What I'm saying is that any sacrifice that I made of pursuing my own things in, instead of pursuing biblical communication or, or nurturing relationships with my children, um, it was totally, totally worth the blank page. Totally. Brings us to our last point. Number eight. Honest, true communication is expensive. It is an all-consuming, time-consuming pursuit.
Will you pray with me? Father God, we praise you that you are a communicating God. And Father, I pray that you will help these women know you better, see the way you communicate, and that you will begin to help them to communicate and relay and work with their children. I pray that you will help them to be good listeners and to ask good questions and to implement some of these things. Father, I pray that your spirit will bring things to mind as they work with their children. Father, I pray that you will um, just help them to relay the glories of God to their children as they go about this. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.